Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. Big news for this week is that on Monday this week, July 26th, principal photography got underway on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And of course, what's significant about this Peyton Reed movie is it's the one that the last episode of Loki effectively teed up. This is where we actually get to meet the big bad that will be driving the direction of the MCU for the its next few phases and that's going to be Jonathan Majors' version of Kang. So I know that that you've already watched the most recent Avengers Assembled, which showed the behind-the-scenes on the recently wrapped Loki series. I'm just kind of fascinated about what they revealed about Jonathan Major, you know, when he came into the show. Like, literally, he just walked in for the last week of the show. I mean, when you're talented like that, you can just walk in and just blow up a set with your acting and just walk out, and everyone goes, what the hell just happened? That was amazing. That's what I particularly enjoyed about Tom Hiddleston, who was also the narrator of this particular uh, Avengers Assembled. Uh-huh. But at one point, they, they interviewed him on the set, and he, he was just talking about how fascinating it was to watch Major sort of create, you know, he who remained. For some reason, I just imagine Tom Hiddleston staring slack-jawed as, mm. as he's watching the acting happen, and it's time for him to do a line. He just spaced out like, what, me? Huh? Oh, God, <laughs> I was just watching. That was fascinating. Please do it again. I promise mm. I won't forget my line. And in return, I'm sure the mm. newcomers to that cast probably do the same thing when Tom breaks into Loki. You just kind of sit there and are transfixed on that amazing performance we've been loving for 10 years plus now. He was hired when he was 29. He's now 40. He's been six films, 11 years. He's just getting started. We'll tell you what, folks. We will talk more about Avengers Assembled as part of the feature portion of today's podcast, which will come after the news segment. News portion of today's episode of Marvelous Disney is being brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. This past week, out ahead, of the Wednesday, August 11th debut of Marvel What If. And again, that's a the animated series that'll be debuting on, on Disney+. Plus. We learned that Marvel Studios will be stepping up its overall commitment to animation. There was an interview that got published in Variety. Victoria Alonso, who is Marvel's executive vice president of film production, revealed that we're going to have our animation branch and mini-studio there will be a lot more to come as well. We're super excited about animation. Mini studio? What's a mini studio? Well, see, that's... <laughs> well, they do pickup shots, B-roll. Uh, I mean, the, the unimportant <laughs> stuff. It sounds very like derogatory towards the studio. It's the w- stuff that m- proper Marvel Studios don't have time for. What's further confusing here is Marvel... Up until just recently, actually had its very own, it literally is called Marvel Animation Studios. And they're the folks who did all the animated series, all the home premiere, all the shorts. Whereas Marvel What If uh, is actually produced by two very different studios, Squeeze and Quebec City, as well as Flying Bark Productions, which is based in Sydney, Australia. 
And there was a reorg of Marvel back in 2019. And in fact, the gentleman who was in charge of, of animation at Marvel at that time, a very talented guy, Court Lane, he left the company. And so I honestly don't know what to tell you, Aaron. So far, it all looks like these are changes for the better, just on a visual level, because over the years, mm-hmm. I've never been impressed with Marvel animation. Almost mm-hmm. never. I mean, the Spider-Man cartoons have always been great, but like they've put out some some of the movies, you know, on mm-hmm. DVD f- over the years. And I just was never impressed with a lot of the animation work that came out of Marvel. Always seemed to love DC for some strange reason. But when it came to Marvel, it always felt lacking. And I felt that was such a shame because you've got all these wonderful artists that work there. Why is your mm-hmm. animation such And uh, when I see What If, it looks like a completely different thing from a completely different company it doesn't look like it has the marvel animation thumbprint on it and i'm good with that i'm i'm very happy it looks like a giant leap forward from what they used to do and uh if that means that you had to shutter one animation studio and do two in two different places uh okay Mm -hmm. it seems to be working i have to wonder though that what role did spider-man into the spider-verse well that was sony well, I know, I know, but think about you know the impact that that you know. Oh, they... like what, on on the decision of of how Marvel handles their animation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if if anything makes huge, noticeable money in a box mm-hmm. office, everybody mm-hmm. looks at that thing, points to it, and says the word trend, and then mm-hmm. they try and hop on it. Okay, so you look at what if you look at the the look of it, and you can maybe draw a line between the decision making. Like, all right, we need a different look. We need to do something different from Into the Spider Verse to What If. But six days before What If shows up on Disney Plus, Spidey and his amazing friends shows up on Disney Junior, and this is strictly corporate animation here, Aaron. I mean, this is the very first. Marvel series that's developed and aimed specifically at the preschool audience. This right. is this is candy cigarettes, kids. <laughs> well, no, that's it exactly. It's part of the cradle to grave yep. notion of let's introduce them to the characters and let's keep them involved with these characters, you know, up until the point that the wallet slips out of their cold hand. Yeah. I'm a little confused when we have Victoria talking about this new initiative and, and yet here we have... Spidey and his amazing friend showing up. I mean, maybe it's a legacy thing. Maybe it was completed with the previous animation team. Sure, but yeah. we'll do some more poking at that. I also believe that there's a, a few different trenches that things mm-hmm. could go down in. Because that is, like you said, that's aimed at children. Mm-hmm. That is not part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe then, is it? Not really. Not, well, no, I mean, you, I, it's not like we're expecting uh, Grandma Jones to go, hey, I really like. What's going on in the MCU? Hook me up with mm. some of that Spider-Man and his amazing friends made for four-year-olds because that's what mm-hmm. I need now. Marvel mm-hmm. What If has a cinematic look to it still. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there are camera movements and there's flash and sizzle on that reel. Mm-hmm. And and that is maybe our primer mm-hmm. for the multiverse. So they can do What If an episode by episode. And then in the MCU, they can drop you into a moment in that episode and you don't they don't need to explain it. So it saves some time. But the Spider-Man that, and his amazing friends, that's just to get the hit kids hooked young. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you I'm... if you divide what is what like this is for young kids, this is a. Uh, mm-hmm. 
animated series that is just for uh, this younger demographic, but it's not MC related. It's to get them hooked, or it's to keep them entertained, or it's educational. But then you got what if that that could be part of the MCU, and it's like okay, that has to be handled by this studio because it's properly part of the MCU still, kind of sort of, mm-hmm. right? Maybe. Yeah. No. 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 I mean, I guess my problem is as part of my job, I read all of the internet entertainment trades and try to stay on top of what people are saying and how they're saying, and and just sometimes it's like okay, I get what you're saying about what if I, I'm having a little trouble. When you explain what you're doing with animation, explaining where Spidey and his amazing friends fits in there. But, but at the same time, I mean, I have to tell you, just this past week, there were those stories out there about, oh, my God, Black Widow is a disaster because box office during its second weekend fell off by 67%. And that's all Disney's fault because, you know, they made the decision that they were going to put it into theaters as well as do the premium access thing on Disney Plus and the thing that drove me absolutely crazy was that the previous weekend was the second weekend for F9 and F9 arguably the most profitable film franchise for NBC Universal had the exact same percentage fall off 67% in ticket sales for weekend 2 and there were no stories about you know oh nbc you know universal is screwed up their most profitable film franchise seriously this past saturday the wall street journal of all places had a feature piece about you know well you know this is this does not bode well for what disney's doing you know for the next phase of the mcu were these numbers for the weekend was this the opening of the olympics happen at the same time by any chance i want to say yes because if that overlaps i mean that can explain a lot of stuff i mean sometimes jim a a lot of your stories on disney Mm -hmm. dish will jump Mm -hmm. back to an iran oil embargo that thing (laughs) i mean seriously it it, it did not affect just one thing there were a lot of things in that moment of time that were affected by that Mm -hmm. same thing here olympics are happening People's mm-hmm. viewing habits change because you only get this stuff every, once every four years. So, yeah, if it were during the Olympics, I think you could put any blockbuster up there and it, and it will drop 67% plus because that may just be a, a, an appropriate percentage of people who are currently watching the Olympics during the weekend. And you will not get them to deviate their eyeballs for any reason. On a parallel track, the trades on Monday were talking about how, you know, oh my God, look how, how low the viewing was for the Olympics this time around. Sure. So I get that. I get that it's like the six blind men standing around the elephant. Yeah, totally. People are going to get different takes on different stories. You know, but Jim, I just... you, you keep talking about the landscape and how it's terra incognito and it's mm. shifting in real time. You should mm-hmm. start tracking what these seismic changes are and the, and the dates, and you can be the keeper, you know, have the, the record book of the changes, mm-hmm. because this may just be what life is after COVID. We don't know it yet. Just yesterday, the CDC issued new guidance in regard to, well, maybe we do need to go back to wearing masks indoors, especially in areas of the country that are experiencing these flares up with mm-hmm. the uh, Delta variant or the, the, the Lambda variant. Yeah. And that also is impacting what's going on with exhibition with these, these movie theaters around the country. That This Friday, 
the Jungle Cruise movie opens up and it's gotten spectacular reviews. Everyone's making comparisons to it's, you know, it's kind of like Pirates Curse of the Black Pearl. And Nancy and I, once again, were doing the, okay, so do we really want to go to a movie theater to see this? And don't get me wrong, I want to go to a movie theater and see this. I want to, you know, I want to see it at a big screen. I want to hold the soda. I want to have a popcorn. But at the same time, it's a notion of, well, okay, but how much am I going to spend on gas to get to the theater? How much am I going to spend on popcorn? How much am I going to spend on tickets? And the, and I start to work the numbers and it's like, okay, for $30, I then own this movie. You know, yeah. I pay, pay my premium access fee, which means I can watch it as many times as I want at home. And if this is, if this is the next Pirates of the Caribbean, Chances are I'm going to want to watch it at least twice, possibly three times, because right. as part of my job, I'm going to have to write about the Easter eggs. So going to the theater and only seeing it once. So you've encountered new math. You didn't have this equation before. Before it was just 30 bucks plus theater equals good time. Yeah, now it's $20 yeah. plus theater or $30 plus home equals mm -hmm. same good time minus big screen. And if you were to supplement, and you know, you're, you've got a couple variables you're missing. You've got, you're missing your big screen, you're missing your audience experience, and then we go. Uh, you can replace very easily soda and popcorn, you know, at mm -hmm. home. That's, that's not an issue. So if you get a bigger TV or a projector, boom, bigger mm -hmm. screen covered, invite some friends over, you've got audience experience also covered. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of things preventing us. And big screens have been dropping mm -hmm. in price dramatically over the years. So there's not a lot preventing us from having that theater-like experience. And so the math equation is change. And I think that the only thing that can alter us, get mm -hmm. us to move, is the theaters have to ch uh, drop their price on the experience or the popcorn. And knowing how much the studios are expecting, especially from these blockbusters, how big a chunk of the ticket sales they'll take for opening weekend. Yeah. Jungle Cruise is the very last theatrical lease and premium access. In fact, five weeks and three days from today, Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings opens only in theaters. So if you want to go see this movie, you got to go there. And in fact, the Wall Street Journal article did point out the fact that the one variable here is, remember, premium access gets you that movie basically for 90 days. But at the end of that 90-day period, you know, for example, Black Widow. Black Widow will be available for anybody who subscribes to Disney+. Plus. So August, September, or again, early October. So there are, in fact, people <laughs> who can do math to get at the notion of, I'm going to pay $30 to either go see it in the theater or I'm going to pay $30 at premium access. It's like, screw that. I'm waiting 90 days till when it shows up for free right. on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And because Disney has to put that info out there that, yeah, 90 days, this will be available. How many people are actually doing that? How many people are like, I can wait? If you do cable cutter math, it was like I used mm -hmm. to have a cable bill of like $200. So I cut the cable mm -hmm. and I ha ha ha, give it to mm -hmm. the man. Mm -hmm. And then I got to go pay $20 to Netflix and I got to pay $20 to, mm -hmm. you know, this streaming service and 15 for that one and mm -hmm. uh, five a month for this one and six for that one. And all of a sudden my streaming bill, a la carte style, $200 a month. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's so funny that Nancy and her nieces are huge Star Trek fans. And, and let's be honest, so am I. Uh-huh. So it's one of these things where, you know, every so often we'll turn off Paramount Plus. Because again, plenty New Englanders. But, right. you know, we're coming up on the launch of the new season of Lower Decks. And it's like, okay, fine. Give Paramount Plus some money because I want to watch the show. But you only do it. You should do it half after the season is like halfway through. Because that uh, way you can do a, a little a little power binge, and then you got to do a week by week when you get to the last couple episodes. That's how an intelligent person would handle it. My, again, the problem is I want what I want when I want it. Sure. And it's just sort of like, okay, it starts now. So here's my money. Yep. You know, show me my lower deck. And apparently Paramount Plus knows this because the only time their cash register rings is when they publish some Star Trek stuff on that thing. Otherwise, it's, it's just dead air. And so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, it's like they're just screaming into the void, and there is nobody listening. And then they go, uh, we put out Picard, and somebody goes, money, 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 here, take some money. And then Picard goes away, and it crickets again. Uh, And then they go, uh, Star Trek, animated Star Trek, here, take take some of that. They go, money, 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 money. And then that goes away and crickets. So I think that Mm -hmm. Paramount Plus could just be called Star Trek Channel, and they're trying to fill that void right now. I don't think you're that far off I, you know, I remember they they just rebranded from cbs all access and lord knows there's there's enough star trek they could do a star trek channel but pivoting back to marvel we were just talking about the start of principal photography on ant-man quantum media i know we've talked previously about how a month or so back they started work on black panther wakanda forever been kind of interesting about the number of photographs that are leaking from the set. The photo just this week of a giant water tank that has been set up. Evidently, they're not just shooting at Trilith Studios. They're also doing some work over at Tyler Perry set up in Atlanta. And so here's a shot of a giant water tank mm-hmm. where they'll be shooting this week. And I don't know if you've been following the whole... Namor theory that's bubbled up about the next Black Panther movie that that there was a line in Endgame it's that scene where Natasha is sort of touching base with you know they they do the whole five year jump and you know everybody's sort of checking in from their corner of the world and it's Akoye am I saying the name right she talks about how uh, they just recently noticed that there's some seismic activity in the ocean on the African plate. And supposedly that was the breadcrumb to set up the whole Wakanda versus Atlantis war. That's the story that's kind of bubbled up that, you know, the what actually starts this film off and how they get T'Challa off the stage is that there are assassins that come from Atlantis that take out Black Panther. And getting back to the photography that's been coming in off the set. And it's one of these things, Marvel's usually much better about sort of clamping down on this, this sort of photography, but evidently that somebody's gotten onto the set where the throne room was. And there's what clearly is a memorial that's set up off to the side. Somebody got photos of it. And the sad part of it is, is that because they published a book last year called The Wakanda Files, which actually includes the Wakanda alphabet, mm-hmm. That people have actually been able to translate what's written, Uh-oh. you know, as, and it's like, you know, rest in peace and King T'Challa and the death of Qui-Gon Jinn is what it says right there. Off soundtrack of episode one. Yeah. 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 So 
we'll all know for sure. And, and in fact, this time next year, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever will have been out in theaters for three weeks at this point. But I just, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, normally they're, they're so much better than this. But I guess the problem is this time around, they made a decision that Black Panther Wakanda Forever would be so much bigger than the first film. So I, I honestly think they're trying to change the narrative of the movie at the moment, because so far, every time we, mm-hmm. anytime anyone says Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever, and mm-hmm. they're going to film without star Chadwick Boseman because he's dead. That's the summary of everything that's ever been said about that movie thus far. Interesting point. Okay. I can't think of any. There's no. There's no villain. There's no hero. Mm. There's no who's going to play what. Mm. There's just the fact that we are making a movie without the lead actor is the only thing that's ever been said about this movie forever. Mm-hmm. And I think Marvel needs, if if they are indeed behind their own leak, it's because mm-hmm. they want to change the narrative to. Uh, Namor. We got a Namor thing, possibly, huh? Look at that, guys. A, a tank of water. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, now the problem is, I've worked with you long enough now that I get this info. I gather it for the show, but at the same time, I'm I'm sitting here with my little Toby Maguire detector, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for word to come out about Spider-Man, you know, No Way Home. And think about it. We are we're less than six months from this thing. Less than five months, I think, at this point, from it being released to theaters. No teaser trailer. No trailer trailer. No images. No poster. Hey, same thing for Matrix Four, by the way. Let's not mm-hmm. just put Spider Man on a pedestal for for being shy for no reason. There's other movies out there that are getting ready to come out at the exact same time that have not shown a peep of what they're about. Interesting point. Okay. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. All right. Well, what we we will have long before then, September 3rd, Shang-Chi and Legend of the Ten Rings and Sammo Lee. You got to remember that Sammo uh, made his first appearance in front of Marvel fans at Comic-Con 2019. So he's backstage with all of these people who've been in the Marvel movies and Tom walks up to him and just sort of pulls him aside and says, okay. I want to give you some sense of what lies ahead. Tom said, you just got to enjoy it. You just got to accept the good along with the other stuff and accept the fact that if you go on vacation somewhere to a random island, there are going to be people who still know where you're from. You know, that's how far reaching and pervasive the Marvel movies are. And again, speaking of Tom Hiddleston, uh, when we get back from this commercial break, uh, Aaron and I will take one last look at season one of Loki. Before we get to our deep dive on season one of of Loki, which again, thanks to the nice folks who put together that Avengers Assembled thing, Aaron, you you had noticed a a series of car commercials that were kind of interesting for what, the Hyundai Tucson? Yeah, well, at first I thought it was uh, a Disney Plus commercial because it had Tom mm-hmm. Hiddleston escaping with the Tesseract and then he jumps mm-hmm. into a, a, it was a Tucson. See, this is a ride so really bad car commercial, as you pointed out earlier, Jim, is because we didn't know. <laughs> no, we had to go look for the actual ad to figure which car, you know, Tom Hiddleston got into. Yeah, and yeah you're right. And that's, by the way, not... it would have been a much yeah. better commercial if he would have got away in a Ford Escape. <laughs> yes yes okay all right. I, 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 anyway all right i can get behind that all right <laughs> so uh and, th- and then uh, all of a sudden 
Captain America or Falcon or Falcon America, American Falcon, uh, mm-hmm. jumps on the scene. Was he even American at that point, or was he just still Falcon? I think he was American Falcon. I think he's wearing the new outfit. Yeah. I don't know what we call him yet, so he's just American Falcon right now. He's an amalgam of the two. And uh, he kind of rolls across the hood or something and, and does a stunt and says something Falcony. Mm-hmm. And then Wanda mm-hmm. shows up in a, get this, she looked like she was like from the 50s or something. It was crazy. <laughs> and then Oella went to color like it was a, a, a Wizard of Oz or and apparently that was a car commercial. But you were pointing out to further muddy the water. Didn't we also get Anthony doing ads for Disney Plus where he was yeah. seemed to be, you know. He, he was like doing some narration or something and, and it went straight back to WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Loki. These wonderful, highly praised shows are only available on Disney Plus. And if you were to run the two back to back, the two commercials in the same stop set, you mm-hmm. wouldn't know where one ends and one begins. It, no. it would just mm. blur into one long MCU ad with a car. And maybe these are the the, the uh, Tahoe, no, Tucson, Tucson. <laughs> I, I'll never remember. You guys, you <laughs> that up no, bad, yeah, yeah, no, by I, the way, I, but okay. I, I, <laughs> you know, somewhere there is a Hyundai executive climbing out his window onto a ledge right now. But yeah, so you wouldn't see where one ends and, and the other begins. And, and maybe this mm. is the new, what the agents drive, uh, mm-hmm. with, put some flashy lights on it, paint it black, and uh, it'll be the new shield vehicle, I guess. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, I, 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 again, don't get me wrong, they were fun little vignettes, but as things to actually sell cars, I don't think they worked. No, no. But the other thing about it, Jim, is, and this is why it's so tragically bad, mm-hmm. is that vehicles are not impulse buys for, for us as individuals, mm-hmm. right? Your vehicle oh, no. breaks oh. down after like a mm-hmm. decade or so, or maybe even mm-hmm. if you're lucky, two decades of use. So it's mm-hmm. not like I'm going to see a commercial for that particular vehicle I can't remember the name of with Marvel people next to it and go, oh, got to get me one of them because... Scarlet Witch was next to it for a minute. Mm. It's going to be determined on what I need at the time. But what they're trying to do in a commercial, because they're not impulse buys, is they're trying to create a long-term relationship with you of, hey, remember our name. And that's why Mm. they freaking tragically failed so bad as I can't remember their name no matter how many times you tell me. uh, Because I want to say Tahoe, Tucson. I know it starts with a T and that's as far as I can get. There we go. Yeah. And and so the... The need of that commercial, what they're trying to do, plant that seed so it grows into a tree 10 years later, failed miserably. But okay, mm-hmm. moving on. But Disney, it, at least Disney corporate, thinks that Loki was a pop culture smash hit. And they have proof of it in that if you go to DCA now, from the very week that Loki debuted, the far off June 9th of this year, you know, that episode one drops. But that very same day, if you went to the Avengers campus at DCA, they actually had Loki in his TVA jumpsuit. And in fact, he had a security detail, two of the hunters sort of watching over and making sure he didn't wander away. But each week of the show, they had a different variant. I want to say when episode five aired, and I really wish I'd seen this one in person, but they had President Loki. Mm-hmm. What Disney has noticed over the six-week run of the show is now, whenever the walk-around Loki comes out, 
the teenage girls scream as if he's a beetle. Sure. The show became that hot and so on so many people's radar. It's like, oh my God, it's it's the teenage boy dressed as Loki. Ah, you know. Well, the girls love a bad boy. He's so mischievous, but he's got those cheekbones, those angelic mm. cheekbones, baby. <laughs> I mean, he, he's just, you know, a good looking guy and he still looks young as heck. And he always gets away with it. So, I mean, sure, why wouldn't the girls fall for that? What's kind of interesting about Loki ending up on Disney Plus is a limited series. Because in a weird sort of way, if you think about television, if you think about, for example, Don Draper uh, from Mad Men, or for that matter, the title character of Dexter, which, by the way, I, I'm sure you've seen the ads, yeah, coming, coming back. back. Yeah. But it's television is the home of the anti-hero. It's the place where because... You have, rather than two hours of screen time, you have multiple episodes. You can actually build sympathy for mm -hmm. a, a villainous character. And in the case, you know, the interesting thing about, I think we talked about this, Tom Hiddleston has been in six MCU movies, 11 years on the job. But if you count up all of his time on screen, it's less than two hours. But he's a good looking guy. It's a fun performance. And people have grown far. And, and also over the course of the MCU films, Loki did sort of kind of redeem himself. Sure. Though what's kind of interesting is, again, he, Hiddleston tells the story about how out ahead of shooting Infinity Wars, Kevin Feige gave him a call and said, well, you know, we're going to start the movie off in a dramatic way. And Thanos effectively strangles Loki, right? After he gets the, the Tesseract. I like to think he breaks his neck in the process. Okay. That's, uh, okay. He, if, if he could hold his breath, but a, a good old fashioned <laughs> neck snap, that's pretty final. There you go. Yeah. And there's this wonderful moment, I guess. It's like the second or third day on the set of the original Thor. It's the moment where he finally gets to put on the Loki helmet. And Hiddleston is so ridiculously excited. because, Ooh, the helmet. I mean, you know, this is my crown. And, you mm -hmm. know, it's just sort of like, I mean, he really enjoyed playing this character. So it was like the notion of like, oh, well, they're going to kill him. And I, I guess that's it. And it's been fun. In fact, I was lucky enough to be there in person to see this happen. This is 2013. Comic-Con Hall H and the hall goes dark for the Marvel presentation and when the light comes up who's on stage but Tom Hiddleston in his full Loki outfit and he proceeds to extort the audience and say my name and he gives this amazing speech as Loki and it was one of these things where you know Kevin Feige is on stage watching this audience just fall in love with this performer doing this character and it's like I know we're killing him, but we we got to find something else to do with Loki. Then the Tesseract escape scene in Endgame gives them basically their get-out-of-jail-free card. Yep. And they then start talking about, well, all right, so maybe we could do the uh, limited series with Loki keying around time travel. But again, what I felt was interesting, they talk about on, on the special about how they didn't want to do Quantum Leap. And no disrespect to, to folks who like Quantum Leap. They didn't want this to be a series where, you know, one week Loki is riding with Paul Revere. They wanted this to be about something. They did make it into the story about self-acceptance, about the learning to become comfortable with who you actually are. And they also kind of got into the vanity of Loki because if anyone's going to fall, if Loki were to fall in love with anyone, it would be some <laughs> version of himself, right? No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, but you have to also respect the fact that the actress playing Sylvie 
does such a prickly character who eventually revealed her vulnerability. And in fact, there's that wonderful moment in episode six where it's like, you can't trust and I can't be trusted. <laughs> you know, so it's like, how are we ever going to have a, a lasting relationship? Oh, if they were to have children, they'd all be blindingly beautiful and just evil as sin. You couldn't you trust a one of them, those little rapscallions, monsters, all of them. Well, no, no. Conversely, though, I have to admit, I do love where they just have Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston standing side by side talking to the camera. Because, you know, these two are very comfortable and enjoy each other's company. But I got to tell you, the thing, the, the thing that almost made me wet myself laughing was the fact that, that Tom Hiddleston was talking about how he had done Shakespeare. And the experience he had playing Shakespeare was very, very fulfilling. Being on the stage in front of the many people. And then at some point he asks Owen, have you done Hamlet? And Owen's like, like, I think he was just trying to be polite, man. He's like, oh, hey, have you ever done Hamlet? Wow, man, well, but, that's but, great, thanks. But what was interesting, that Hiddleston actually went on to say, well, you could have done it in school. Yeah, I mean, you're sure, just you know, yeah. trying to sort of give him a get-out-of-jail-free card. But then later in the, the interview, he was talking about, well, what's your favorite Shakespearean play? And it's like, well, Two Gentlemen of Verona. And then Owen actually does the opening line of two gentlemen for Verona. Yeah. So it's like, you know, these people can surprise you. But that's what the other thing, frankly, that they, they laid down that I thought was so interesting about Mobius is that he's the classic rascally detective. They have him in his off the rack clothes. Mm -hmm. I could draw a relatively straight line between Owen Wilson's take on Mobius and what Peter Falk does with Columbo. Because again, right. in both cases, it's like, this is a guy you don't want to underestimate. He'll make you comfortable and you'll reveal something. And that's what he uses. But it's, I mean, it, it's a great performance. But at the same time, they, they drill down into talking about, for example, the aesthetic choices for the, the TVA, how the design of this bureaucracy is Beetlejuice meets Terry Gilliam's Brazil with just a sprinkling of Albert Brooks's Defending Your Life folded in there. And I think a production designer was talking about the fact that when you looked at the desks you were supposed to see where the, the stains from the coffee cups were, because that was this world. And conversely, when you had the scene in Revsinger's office, you know, to the effect that she was after Owen Wilson, use a coaster. In here, it's special. In here, it looks nice. I so enjoyed this pop of the hood, them digging down into the show and the sequence on, on Shura, the planet that where the asteroid is crashing down and all that, would you have ever put together that that sequence that was shot in the city as they're fighting their way to the rocket was one of the largest sets they'd ever built for a Marvel thing? I don't know about biggest because I'm not, you know, usually thinking about tape measure of how big is the throne room of Asgard versus a set elsewhere. So I wouldn't have been surprised by it being the biggest, but... Mm -hmm. Again, I, I'm not emotionally moved by the size of, of sets. I mean, I, I've seen, you know, some really grand things over mm -hmm. the years of, of watching movies. And it's just the artistry that goes into making this stuff is is more the fascinating than the size. You know, it's just like, sure, you can you can make it big, but can you make it look good? And mm -hmm. uh, they, the thing that... I'm interested in is like the details of how do you make an alien world? Like, you know, mm -hmm. a, a Star Wars market. 
where these mm -hmm. critters are in a cage for meat to be sold as food, mm -hmm. not as pet. Right. You know, there's a difference between the two. And how do you tell? Because one is roasting on a spit right next to the one in the cage that you're looking at. And now I know very clearly what these animals are used for. So you got to have aliens. So it's unfamiliar. But you mm -hmm. have to have some sense of what what the heck is the place that you're in. So there has to be some sort of familiar. And they did talk a little bit about they had some things that made sense and some things that made absolutely no sense in the set mm -hmm. because it was alien and it should be a little bit of like what's that for and it's like oh well that's mm -hmm. you know some made up gibberish that you don't need to understand because it's a some set piece that don't matter that's one of the things that that was so enjoyable with loki about subverting expectations again mm -hmm. that that's familiar but that's not for example they talked about how the big battle on the world where time ends with Iolith, it, I, I want to say the, the, the big cloud monster. Eliath. Eliath, there we go. That was supposed to be, okay, you know, you know Mark Marvel movies, this is our big epic battle that we always have in these things. But then to totally subvert things in episode six where it's literally a conversation between three people. No battle, just people sitting down in a mansion space that is supposedly carved all out of one asteroid, but at the same time heavily influenced by Xanadu from Citizen Kane or Grey Gardens or, you know, with just a hint of the Wizard of Oz throne room. They did reference Wizard of Oz multiple times of, as references yeah. and, and key moments Mm -hmm. that they were kind of calling back to or, or tipping their hat to. So I got to say the influence, it did come through in the show because there are many times, you know, just like when you see the, the time keepers were beheaded and they were just there clockworks we go. and you're there like, ah, a man behind the curtain <laughs> moment. Come on, let's see it. Yep. Yep. So it's it was kind of nice to be affirmed. Yes, you were seeing Wizard of Oz three or four different mm -hmm. times throughout this particular show. But at the same time, when you finally met the wizard, for example, when you, you finally meet Frank Morgan in The Wizard of Oz, it's fairly obvious this is a man from Kansas, a charlatan, you know, a carnival huckster who's been running a con the whole time. Whereas when we finally get to meet He Who Remains, they talked about how they actually used his costume design to kind of throw you off because each individual piece of clothing that he was wearing from was from a different era. You know, for example, I guess he was wearing a Victorian cloak around his shoulders. But if you, right. you look down to his feet, he's, he's got sandals from Rome. This is a guy who literally has lived forever. And again, a real credit to the team who handled costumes for Loki. I'm blanking the name of the actress who played Sylvie, but she was talking about the fact that they created this this beautiful outfit that was easy to fight in but there's also a video of her back in her trailer who said you know what's really great about this outfit is that i have just prior to making loki she had given birth and so she had you know her little child in the trailer and so this loki-like costume that had been reinterpreted to be female in addition to being easy to fight in, was also easy to breastfeed in. There was a, Did just they have a zippers. little easy access pouch area there? Yes, you could, yeah, cool. yeah. And it's just sort of like, I love that they did that to accommodate her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you hear about all the actors many times when, as soon as they ask, uh, a reporter asks them about, hey, what's it like to be in the Batman suit? Uh, I wish they yeah. had an easier way to go pee. They takes like, like five yeah. hours just to take one pee. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes. Now, at the end, I got to uh, tell you, uh, John Alois sent me a thing on Twitter that was borderline fascinating. I don't think it's a, an intentional thing that Marvel did. Mm-hmm. But boy, is it slick. Because okay. the end of Loki and the end of wandavision line up Mm -hmm. in a most peculiar way and i just sent you a a link to it on on twitter if you check your direct messages you'll you'll find it there and you can click on the link and see it but what it is Mm -hmm. it's a side-by-side video you know how dark side of the moon and wizard of oz sync up in that weird sort of way coincidentally Mm -hmm. by the way Mm -hmm. same thing okay same thing is you you start both tracks at the same time and at the same minute mark. And this is the showdown where we are now dealing with, it's not really Kang, it's the one who remains would mm-hmm. be the proper name of that version of the character. And you remember that instant where things are getting kind of weird and he goes, this is the instant where anything could happen. I knew everything up until this moment. Yeah. Okay. In WandaVision, if you're playing it at the same time, this is where she's having her fight with Agatha. And... Mm-hmm. uh Agatha says something along the lines of you don't know what you've done and it's like these two things line up and it's there's a a sound that it gets louder and louder and louder and then it stops and it's kind of like also where I want to say the one who remains like drops a pencil and the pencil lands as the sound stops in WandaVision and the two are coincidentally timed perfectly and it's it's Agatha saying, you don't know what you've done. And this is now he who remains saying, you know, that the multiverse has begun this. I used to know everything up until this point. Now it could be anything. And I so think that this is just dark side of the moon. Wizard of Oz coincidental. Oh, it would be neat if it were true. But I think if Disney really wanted to emphasize that this was happening at the same moment, they would have cross-cut an image from Wanda and put them side by side or done something clever to indicate that the two are connected, truly connected, in that mm. instant of where they're both happening at the at the very same time. So I don't think that Wanda's creating the multiverse at that moment. And beyond that, um, aren't we supposed to believe that it's Sylvie and all the various time bombs that she sent off to God knows where because they never told us? But hundreds of time bobs that that went everywhere and all of these fractures that we're seeing on the timeline are those time bombs that she sent to inappropriate places. And that's what's indeed creating the multiverse. I have to go look at this. Yeah, definitely take a look at it because it looks amazing. I get what you're saying about Dark Side of the Moon and the Wizard of Oz, but it's still cool to watch it and to watch the Scarecrow and Dorothy lean in to the, the, the woodsman as the heart, you know, you hear the heartbeat on the record. Yeah. I mean, it, if it's a coincidence, it's still a cool coincidence. And I can't help but think that somebody on the Disney side is going to hear this and go, ah, viral video. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care if it's not real. Let's put that together. Oh, sure. Yeah. But it's just like putting the production that you're so focused on making sure that Loki is a great episode, but you're Mm -hmm. not going to 
craft down to the second so these things time up an easter egg that you're not even going to reference in any way shape or form and just pray that someone accidentally goes hey i wonder if i play these two at the exact same time what would happen hmm let's check it out yeah yeah well as long as we're sending people to to look at interesting bits of video or that sort of thing one final very odd factoid from loki it turns out that Loki as an alligator, the folks at ILM base that on a really for real alligator. It turns out if you Google Wally, somebody actually out there has an emotional support alligator. And so they have all this footage of, you know, somebody carrying around their alligator as an emotional support animal. And someone that kind is of... ca- carrying around the emotional support alligator for them because they have no fingers. <laughs> well, because sometimes that's... their emotional support alligator gets hungry and just bites off your hand. <laughs> again, I have not checked up on this myself. Well, again, I got to go check to do the Twitter for the, 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 the WandaVision Loki thing. But right after that, I'm going looking for Wally. So that's our last look at Loki for a while, one would hope, until season two bubbles up. And they actually talk about this as part of the show that... Uh, first season of Loki started shooting February 20th, 2020, and then with the COVID disruption, didn't wrap till 299 days later. So I, honest, I haven't heard a word from anybody at Marvel Studios about, you know, I mean, they have confirmed that season two is happening. There's also evidently a handshake deal in place for a season three but no news about when production of Loki 2 will actually happen. They've got a lot on their plate, and they've. it just seems to be getting like a fuller and fuller plate. You know, it's like, here's some more lasagna. Oh, by the way, do you like trout? Here's a piece of trout. <laughs> oh, by the way, we've got some... Uh... We've got some chocolate cake. Let's put some chocolate cake right next to the trout there. Just slide that over. It'll be fine. French fries? You like French fries? Put them on top of the cake. Ain't got no room on the plate. I got some pudding. Put it on top of the trout. Mm, oh, pudding trout. Oh, Oh, you're It's you. almost like the fish custard, the fish sticks and the custard from Doctor Who, but it's pudding trout. It's the American version. I, <laughs> okay, you, I'm going to award you extra points for, for bringing it back to Doctor Who. <laughs> so that is going to do it for this week's uh, Marvelous Disney. By the way, we do have some other podcasts here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. We, of course, have Disney-ish with Len Testa, Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, If you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show you're listening to now. Likewise, if you you want to hand over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. In between shows, if you want to keep tabs on what we're up to, you can head over to social media. Aaron, where can folks find you on on Twitter? At Azaprod. Okay, cool, cool. Let's see, on Twitter and Instagram, you can find uh, me and Nancy at Jim Hill Media over and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. That's going to do it for now. But seriously, folks, if you, you got 65 minutes and you want to learn you know, some amazing stuff behind the scenes of Loki, go check out the latest Avengers Assembled and make sure you catch the first episode of Marvel What If on August 11th, because I'm pretty sure Aaron and I will be talking about that when it debuts. 